0: Hello and welcome to yet another episode of the Daily Lawyer um, Careers in Law series. Today I have a very special guest on the podcast and I know that the aim of the Careers in Law series is to present a very realistic view of the career options that are possible within the legal space. But I also want to highlight and I get very excited when I come across people who are along with their legal careers and doing really well in their legal careers are able to don so many other hats. They're able to do so much more work and how they're able to fit all of these roles within one day, one month, one lifetime is something that I really long to learn from. And one of our guests who does that, who who plays so many different roles today is... uh, Mohini Priya, she's an advocate on record with the Supreme Court. She's also a trained mediator. She works with NGOs. Uh, She's a doting mother of two lovely children. And most recently, she was crowned uh, the Ghirakshmi Mrs. India uh, for this year, 2022. In the silver category, she won I don't know how she does it all, but uh, you'll get to know a little bit more about Mohini. I'm just gonna read out her beautiful bio. Uh, Mohini has a lot of experience handling litigation across multiple practice areas such as constitutional law, criminal law, insolvency, family law, arbitration. She works with NGOs like Prayas and she works with uh, women and children. child development, rescue and re- rehabilitation of street children, prevention of child trafficking, POXO cases. She's also working uh, with issues related to transgender rights, rights of rape victims, condition of women in jails. Um, and she also works uh, with an NGO in Bombay called Mega Foundation where she uh, where she works on animal welfare, She's also a policy advisor at the India Child Protection Forum, headed by the Nobel laureate, Mr. Kailash Satyarthi. She is, I mean, uh, she believes that life should not be unidimensional and growth is a continuous process. And that pretty much, I think, sums you up. Moindy, you can put your camera on. I'm just so amazed at everything that you've done. I genuinely am saying this because Hi, I know how to Hi, I know how difficult it is managing just a career and two children and I don't know how you are able to do career two children but are not just a council but also a mediator also a policy advisor also somebody who works uh, with NGOs so you know you give your time quite freely to so many things and then you also do things for yourself like yes. you know taking part in that Mrs. India was something that you've actually done for yourself and I, I find you so inspiring and I'm so Thank grateful you. that uh, you came on to the podcast. You're a wonderful addition to this great, Love uh, Thank lovely... you so much. Mohini, we, uh, you know, I, I have so many things to ask you. Thank but you wa- so
1: much for having me over
0: here. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I want to ask you, how did you start? Like I, I met you, I don't know, 15 years ago, I think uh, at GLC, but how did you think of coming to Bombay 18 years years? good lord it's been 18 years yeah (laughs) man so how do you think of coming to Bombay uh you know you're not from Bombay how do you think of coming to Bombay GLC how did it start honestly uh jenna
1: i think law really happened uh, by chance for me you know i stumbled upon it because i was throughout a science student i was so good in biology so my teacher actually got a shock of her life yo oh, is she going for law she's not pursuing medicine so i was like any other confused child in the 2012 standard and glc was uh, ranked very high that year <laughs> i remember reading india today's second ranks glc so that's how I landed in Bombay. So it was just a matter of chance rather than choice for me law. But yes, after getting into GLC and especially the location, the place, Bombay and my hostel was on Church Gate. So all that really helped me, I think, to adapt to Bombay because I was from Patna. I was a very, very small town and suddenly from Patna, you come to Bombay, which is like the, the metro. So yeah, but uh, I think my years in, G- in GLC have been superb. I was very, very active. If you know, I've been in the Moot Court Association then the Students Council, Legal Aid Committee. So apart from academics, I kept myself really busy with the college work, college committees, extracurriculars. And it did give me a lot of exposure. Yeah, helped me own my personality. I would say that.
0: Mohini, how did you think of becoming a counsel? Because you were one of the few people from our batch who got married really early. Uh, And you had kids also really early. I mean, compared to uh, the 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 rest of us. Yeah, Yeah, you had kids really early. So at that time, I mean, that was a time in your life that you had to focus on your personal life. So how did you think of becoming a counsel? And, um, you know, what was that process like?
1: It was a journey actually. During my college days also, I was interning. So I was like every other college student, I was confused. So I did a few legal uh, litigation uh, internships. I did a few corporate internships. Uh, I did a judicial internship with Mr. Mr. Sirpurkar in the Supreme Court. I worked with the Lehman Brothers. But ultimately, I think in my final year, I just decided that corporate is not for me and I was really enjoying litigation and, you know, my time with Justice Sirpurkar there and the Supreme Court, so I had almost made up my mind, but then life has its own plans, you know, then I got married really right after college, in fact, before my results were announced, (laughs) so... Uh, my husband was practicing in Raji Jharkhand High Court. So I started with litigation there because in Jharkhand, you don't, don't really have too many opportunities other than litigation, right? So that's how litigation actually happened for me. Although I had plans of litigating in Delhi or Bombay initially. And then uh, I was a mother of two at the age of 25. So that's when I decided that I have to take a break from everything and focus like completely on my kids. They were my priority. In 2014, I moved to Delhi. My husband also moved here. So we moved to Delhi. And uh, that is when I started considering getting back into litigation again. And my kids were also by that time a little grown up. So, you know. So in 2017, I ended up joining a senior advocate in the Supreme Court. And uh, after that, I cleared the AOR examination. And since then, you know, life has just been. (laughs) So, yeah. It has been quite a roller coaster ride for so me. Yeah, those I days. can
0: imagine. Yeah. I actually want yeah. you to talk about the AOR uh, exam because there are students and young lawyers listening and they probably don't know or they know and they don't know enough or whatever. They want to know more. But before I get to the AOR, uh, there's something that I have observed and you probably have observed it similarly that uh, litigation is something that for young lawyers or for law students is not yes. their first choice. Nowadays, everybody wants to fancy law, even when we were in law law school, it was you know, cyber law was coming and SEBI and securities and all that fancy stuff. And now I think it's all all this cryptocurrency and all this uh, metaverse law and all that. So, uh, and I, I strongly believe that every, every lawyer must have a base in litigation, you give yourself two years, three years, whatever. Can you speak yes. a little bit about what litigation does? Maybe you can tell the audience who don't know anything what is litigation. And then what do you think uh, if you're talking to young lawyers or law students or even people from other professions who are interested in law? Uh, mm. Can you like give some background as to why litigation is important? And then we can jump into the AOR bit. Yes. See, ha, you're
1: right there. Yeah? But, uh, I think every law student, because you know, corporate litigation is not very lucrative when it comes to money initially yeah and there's a lot of struggles initial years of struggles so that is why all of us want to be safe and secure and probably you know join a corporate house or or a law firm probably but what i realized over the years that in litigation sky is the limit so you need to be patient that is why you become a lawyer in the first place right so what is really sad that all these uh, elite law schools, so all the graduates really go to these law firms and none of them are really interested into liti- in getting into litigation these days because they think that the struggle is too much to handle. And people who are dissuading them, that this family was dissuading them, that you know, you're not even getting paid and putting in so many hours of work. But I think litigation really makes you a lawyer, it makes you really independent and uh, you have a name of your own, you know in a corporate house i don't think you are really being a lawyer i mean that's just my personal view but uh, because i have worked with corporates as well and I've, i was kind of very frustrated there you know where is all my skill and where's all my talent where's all my education going i think every every student should have some experience of litigation at some stage of life then they can obviously obviously take a call on that if, if they are not comfortable or you know, if they think it's too much for them to handle then probably they can think of other avenues as well but this is one exposure every every law student should have
0: and I think it makes your basics also very strong you know because when you're doing active lit you're actually constantly looking through your barracks or your commentaries or your reading of uh, case laws every day in
1: the court is a new day every day you're learning something new so it doesn't get monotonous over time so I think litigation is very very engaging
0: yeah Mm -hmm. So I I wanted to bring that out because recently I've met a couple of uh, law students who have been like, oh, I'm not interested in it. Like somebody came to me for an internship and they said, do you do securities law? I said, no, I don't do securities law, but you're a third year student. You know, what do you, why do you want to get to do securities law? Like, you know, so just come to me.
1: like we want to do something in ip laws like you know what ip laws is and you're sure you just want to pursue that throughout your life so they don't really know but they go for these fancy terms and you know niche areas of practice without really getting to the base of litigation so huh i think that's
0: yeah yeah so anyway i I want to just put it out there because this happened to me so recently uh and then now now i want to really talk to you about aor because first can you explain to the audience? Who's an advocate on record? Like, why do you need to be an advocate on record or whatever? And then what is the process of getting there?
1: So an advocate on record is basically an advocate who can file and appear on behalf of the client in the Supreme Court. So you cannot file a case in the Supreme Court unless you are an AOR. So simply put, that is what an advocate on record is. Obviously, I mean, uh, you are a part of less than 3,000, you know, advocates who have this prestigious title of being an AOR. That's another thing. Also, being an AOR, you get uh, an entry into the Supreme Court in the sense that you get an entry to the functioning of the Supreme Court by being a part of the Supreme Court Advocate on Record Association also. So... If you're an AOR, uh, you are an integral part of the Supreme Court, okay? Uh, uh, Apart from that, I think uh, this exam is infamously difficult because there is no set pattern of the exam as such. They have a
0: syllabus,
1: but uh, the question paper's pattern is always very, very haphazard. So there are papers like... uh, professional ethics that we've never ever studied in college and you know the last time that you've written an examination is probably four years back because you need four years of practice as an advocate and then uh, one years of training under an AOR having 10 years practice as an AOR. so that's the prerequisite yeah so uh, then there's a drafting paper where you you get these lengthy drafts that you have to complete in like three hours time so basically it's more about you know practice because uh, in these four or five years for me it was a very very long time it was 13 years you really are not in the habit of writing an examination uh, so more than I think AOR examination more than a test of your knowledge it's test of your writing skill it's a test of how quickly you can think on your feet because time is a constraint there for the examination once you pass the examination I think uh, it becomes very, very easy because it increases your marketability definitely. And uh, the minimum that an AOR charges varies between 10000 to 75000 for filing or drafting of a matter. So it, it, it does make you financially stable as well. So I think for first-generation lawyers and for young lawyers practicing in the Supreme Court, becoming an AOR is definitely a stepping stone.
0: So tell me, like the solicitor's exam in Bombay, is the passing percentage yeah. very low? For, for the AOR exam? Passing
1: percentage is the same as the I think for the solicitor's exam also. The uh, passing percentage per subject is 50 and uh, overall is 60%. So, it's the same for AOR exam also. So, actually the passing percentage is one. Passing ratio is 1 is to 5 in AOR exam. That's, that's you know, the general oh my passing God. ratio. And you,
0: you if, if I remember right, you actually topped the exam, right? In the year, in the in the attempt that you wrote.
1: No, no, no! I didn't top the exam, but I cleared it in one go.
0: Yeah. So, so yeah. How, how, like, I've is been... it like a number of papers like across so many days? Like how the SALS exam is? Like you know, you have five, six papers, or
1: there are four papers, uh, and uh, they are all back to back. So,
0: yeah. You so, yeah know, on, one reality, think... on one day. On one day they are back to back. No, oh, no, no, one day a day. Four papers.
1: Huh, four papers like over a course of four days. So. For me, it was more like a college exam yeah, jana matlab, uh, because the pattern of exam was the same. You know, you have these five mark questions, you have this 10 mark question, 20 mark question. So, you know that, you know, you have a certain word limit and you have time constraint. So, I was, I got uh, less than 20 days to prepare very honestly because I was working also alongside. So, I got 20 days to uh, prepare but in 20 days, I think I studied for 18 hours a day every day that was how (laughs) so I had to go back into that student mode again and forget everything forget my kids forget my home everything and be totally totally dedicated to this AOR examination that's how I managed to clear it because I think if you if you do not clear it in one go at least for me I would lose the motivation to again go next year and appear for the paper again you know that's disheartening also So yeah, I put in my best, and then uh, thankfully, I didn't top it though. that's
0: (laughs) It's okay. You can, but given all your constraints, uh, I think even clearing it in the first go is as good as like topping the exam because you had like 20 days. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter in the long
1: run.
0: Yeah. yeah, You just, you need, and I think you answered it also very well because one of the, one of the questions I also wanted to ask you is uh, what is a practical translate? How does it translate practically into your life? And I think you already said it because it's a, you said that it increases your marketability and things like that. So now I want to come yeah. back, uh, Mohini, to you being a counsel, as in for someone who has no idea uh, what you do, or what a counsel does. And, uh, yeah. you know, and and you probably no, don't only, you know, go and argue, but you also do your filings, because you're an AOR. So can you just explain yes. what you or someone like you does? If I'm a a possible career option for some young lawyer or a law student listening
1: see uh being based out of delhi i i am exposed to multiple forums here so apart from being an A O R and practicing in the supreme court uh, i also practice in the national company laws appellate tribunal i practice in the national consumer commission there's the ngt here you know there are f- several forums there are delhi high court So yeah, Delhi gives you an exposure to multiple forums, definitely. Apart from uh, being an AOR, of course, uh, I have to look into the intricacies of the case, you know, right from filing to uh, sometimes it even involves clerical work, you know, every minor detail because you're responsible for the matters. If anything goes wrong, the AOR is summoned before the court. So yeah, that is what it is about. Uh, Apart from that, uh, uh, yeah, what was your question again?
0: I was saying that what does what does a council do because you are you are a council also I mean uh, I mean I know we met at the at the NCLAT last I think when we actually met was it the NCLAT yeah Yeah.
1: so I think one uh, big mistake that AORs make is they don't uh, argue in courts so you know that that just makes them like a post office that people from you know Several states are coming, and they just need somebody to file your case, and and the A O R is just there for namesake. They are engaging okay. Senior engagement is a different thing, but they even engage counsel. So I, my, uh, I think I my advice to young lawyers would be that uh, being an A O R, if you an A O R, try to get into the details of the matter and try to argue it out themselves. Because the ultimate goal is to grow in your profession, right? It's not just to get like uh, some money out of filing. So it's a big opportunity. It's a big stepping stone. Use it to grow in the profession. Yeah.
0: No, but you know, Mohini, like in Bombay, and you you obviously know this, in Bombay, you have that solicitor uh, council system. So solicitors don't really argue, like they engage councils or junior councils for smaller things and bigger, like mid-level councils, and they don't argue. So right. are, you, are right. you saying that AOAs also behave like solicitors in the sense they do all the filing? all the liaising like, with the clients and making sure that the council is paid on time and stuff like that and correct, correct
1: yeah so it becomes more of a managerial task you know you're just busy managing the matter rather than really getting into the gist of the matter knowing the matter arguing the matter so that doesn't make you a real royal lawyer in the you know
0: but uh, so, are you able to manage both like I because the skill sets required for being a counsel, you know, you have to read a lot, you need to know, like you're constantly reading uh, the case laws, you're subscribing to all of the journals and all of that. And then when you're an AOR or a solicitor, you, you of course, you you need to be updated, but not at the same level as a counsel. You know, you're you're, yeah. you're, you're you're spending your energy and doing your administrative things as well. Like making sure that the paging is correct. Like, you know, making sure that your brief is in the way that the judge before whom it goes to is it, it, put in that order and things like that. So your energy goes in that also. So how do you... Ha- handle so, that's
1: why a proper system is necessary to be put in place so an AR needs to have an office needs to have an efficient clerk you know so so that these pagination and issues like this these are taken care of by the clerk itself you need to have a few people associates who are working from you so, you know so you can focus your attention on the matter on the law so you're not just all the time you know busy with the clerical stuff so I think having an established office and a good workforce is important. That that really creates a balance.
0: Yeah. Uh, Mohini, do you mind speaking to us a little bit about your NGO work? As in, you do such great work with Prayas, uh, especially yeah. with with women and children. And um, I know that the children part is really close to your heart. You know things like trafficking or even poxo and all of that. So can you tell us a little bit about? Yeah. Uh, you know, what kind of work you do with the, with the NGO? And then I'll, then after that, we can ask you more.
1: Yeah. So, Prayas is a very established NGO here. It's a, it's a, it's on a national level and it's working mostly for the uh, development of women and children. So, recently, we have also intervened in a Supreme Court Suomoto matter, which is related to rescue and rehabilitation of street children who have been affected by COVID-19. Apart from that, we also deal with a lot of FOX related matters, child trafficking, and you know, women and children in general. So I think uh, Prayas, if I start talking about it, it will take another one hour what kind of work we do. But yeah, I think that is something that is really close to my heart. Apart from litigation, this is something that I enjoy doing. So apart from Prayas, I'm also... A part of this bombist NGO called mega foundation who which is basically a an NGO for animal welfare but they also uh, raise issues related to transgender rights and you know rape victim so so that way I, I help them out with those issues when it comes to litigation and stuff like that so yeah
0: so, so as a so, lawyer so, for a, for a lawyer who's in, who's listening to this and interested in giving their time to something like this yeah. like what is a lawyer's role in all of this? So I
1: believe law has, is increasingly becoming a business these days. Know nobody uh, feels that as a lawyer, they have a social responsibility as well, because obviously it's not paying you, you know, you're spending so many hours and you're getting nothing out of it financially, materialistically. But, uh, you know, having, uh, being a lawyer and knowing the intricacies of law, I think is it is important that you use it for the for the upliftment of the society and to change the society as much as you can. So the role of lawyer is not to generate litigation as such. In fact, these days, mediation is also a thing. So lawyers instead of generating uh, litigation should aim at mitigation of litigation as well you know that is another thing because because the serious backlog of cases in the courts, especially the supreme court i think med- i think mediation is is the way to go so yeah rather than focusing on the finances focus on the social responsibilities as well no, is and, what is and- what my
0: how, how do they get in and what, what will be their contribution to this? You know, like how do they contribute? In the sense, for a lawyer who doesn't know what he can do in an NGO, what, what can he or she do? This everyday work, like how can they contribute?
1: So see, as a lawyer, you can help them out. There are many NGOs who are actively litigating, also fighting for a lot of social causes in courts. So as a lawyer, the first thing you can do is just help them out with their court matters. Obviously, it's not very paying. NGOs won't pay you that much. But then you get exposure to a lot of things, and it does open up your mind. So just you know, explore, find out. Just Google what, what are the prominent NGOs in a city? Go visit them. Say that you have something to offer. Obviously, they'll you know need your help with something. Everybody is looking out for lawyers these days. So it's not that difficult. You just just take the step
0: <laughs> to this. Huh? I want to ask you about the mistakes. That's what I was looking towards. Huh? I think I've already
1: spoken about it. Yeah
0: no no uh, everyday people come mistakes as in, in in your line of work like you deal with women you deal with children who are affected yeah. and you deal with everyday people also you know corporates and people like you and me everyday mm-hmm. and I, so anyway i'm, I'm going to ask you the question again you know you deal with women you deal with children you deal with everyday like corporates like you and me um and i still feel like people don't know the law okay in fact they treat the law yeah. as this barbed wire fence i'll do everything inside it but i don't want to touch that so because of that they because they don't know or they don't even want to know they don't take optimally beneficial decisions for themselves and one of the reasons yeah. for the tdl platform is to just bring out everyday risks that you that you can avoid that in your everyday life like um, like, for example, I'll give you an example. When I was in, okay. uh, as a, le- a legal counsel, I, one of the things that I was I used to do is to negotiate some office space, uh, leave and license and things like that. No, you get the documents. Yeah. And you have to, um, and then you, for the first time I got the document and the, we, they were in this premise for almost 10 years. There was a security mm-hmm. deposit clause. There is no mention of return of security deposit. There is no mention yeah. of the security deposit being an interest-free deposit. It's just not there. It's like of course mm. essay. Like, what do you mean essay hoga? Matlab, a- aapko kab milne hai? Imagine tomorrow we want a bigger office, and this office is not enough, and you're given a very sizable amount. It's not like one, two lakhs or something like that. And you're like, mm. so what? You know, you people have lawyers essay one. Ban- they play golf together, so obviously I'll get it back. You know, but tomorrow yeah. you may not be there in the company, right? Like it, it cannot right. work like that it has to be there has to be so nobody understands these small small things which can potentially be very dangerous yeah hmm. so those it, when i'm asking about risks it's from that angle like uh, what okay. are these kind of risks that you have seen which you know even one or two examples which you think people can avoid
1: okay yeah yeah right so you know, many of my clients, I feel, they become uh, Google lawyers themselves. So when they come to meet me, huh, they they know more law than I know. <laughs> sometimes that's the case. So then it's very difficult to convince them, you know, because because they are these uh, stalwarts in the field. I think that is something you should definitely. They, they do don't they don't just Google. They sometimes even draft the matters themselves, and they'll come to you and you know do things themselves. So, yeah, that is one common mistake that most, most people do. And that should be avoided just, you know, just to save like five to 10,000 rupees of consulting a lawyer. Uh, you know, that should definitely be avoided. Apart from that, uh, many clients... Sorry, consult I'm sorry.
0: Lawyer. Yeah. Sorry, I'm interrupting, but I just want to clarify because uh, it's a pet peeve of mine as well. So uh, I'm yeah. really happy you brought this up. Uh, but why do you think it needs to be avoided? Is it because, you know, when you read something on the internet, you don't have context, as in, yeah, it it may not apply to your case. Like, you're not able to get the context. Like, why do you think it should be avoided? Exactly. And it's
1: very vague, you know. Most of the things you find on the internet is copy paste, or they just read some articles, uh, you know, posted to some law students, and they think now they know the law and this is how things should be. But a lawyer who has practical, uh, you know, experience in a court of law, what a judge is thinking, how things are working in court would obviously know more. So it is important to first consult a lawyer and then take a decision on things. Apart from that many clients consult multiple lawyers at the same time, you know, over the same issue. And then they get seriously confused about the issue. So that should be avoided. Just pick a lawyer. You know, probably you, you can uh, know the lawyer's credential and then accordingly approach a lawyer. And then uh, rely on one lawyer, one single lawyer itself. I think that is, yeah. So approaching multiple lawyers should also be avoided because that would just create a lot of confusion. Yeah.
0: Okay, Mohini, I think we've probably exhausted for today, at least I can keep talking to you uh, because I know you have a lot of practical experience as well. And we will definitely have you back because now we have another, this is only to give an idea of, the possibilities of a career in the law, but we also have a segment on specific law topics where we're talking about the legal provisions as such. So we'll have you back Correct. for that. But uh, one, yeah. like I mentioned in your introduction, you are able to handle so many roles. Uh, we spoke about you as a lawyer, mm-hmm. as a counsel, as an AOR, as a as a social worker in your in your yes. field. But a big thing is the yeah. is your role as a mother. I'm also a mother of two, and I struggle. Uh with managing the career, managing the house, managing your family and you know relations, everything it's it's very hard. How do you do it? like <laughs> how have you found the balance? It's difficult for a woman here. Yeah. I think for me, age uh, worked for me
1: because uh, you know I, I got married at 23 and I had kids at 25, so I have literally grown up with my kids, you know, so they are my friends now. so it's a part of me being a mother is a part of me now so i don't really have that. that that's not really a demand in my life i think that's how i just function everywhere even in my office space i function as a mother sometimes you know <laughs> i'm just protective about my colleagues and stuff so yeah i think it is important uh, that you set boundaries you know even with your children you know, children, that is how they will grow. That is how they will see you in the future. So if you initially set boundaries and if they know that, okay, you you have to dedicate a certain certain amount of hours for work and you have your personal life as well. So they will respect that and which is good for them also in the long run and which is good for you also. Yeah. So I think that setting boundaries was one very important aspect that helped me. Apart from that, I usually avoid helicopter parenting you know, I'm not, I'm not just, I'm not too interfering in their lives. I, I think it is important that you show them a direction in their life, tell them what is right and wrong and then let them decide from, for themselves huh? because they are all individuals, they have their own ways of thinking they have uh, their own life experiences. So I think that that really helps them to grow. There's this really nice quote that I heard that give your child the roots to grow and wings to fly. So that is what I practice in real life also. And uh, that is what has really helped me maintain a balance. Apart from that, I think I'm a very calm, headed person. I, I don't take too much stress. So in life and as being a parent and being a litigator, I think it really helps me everywhere. So, yeah.
0: I, I think the last one the, your last one statement would probably say it all like if you are just calm and cool headed I am not I am uh, like I yeah. feel like I, I spend most of my time just screaming and like you know getting stressed you know
1: what I just I read this line somewhere that your uh, children need a happy parent more than a perfect parent so if you are happy your children are automatically happy they, they yeah. just absorb that energy Yeah. so try to be happy yourself first yeah. you know then I think you will be a better parent to your children because nobody can really be perfect. it's impossible.
0: Mohini, yeah. <laughs> yeah. you know one of the things that I have learned or I have come to really appreciate in my life is the um support of your partner, your spouse yeah. and also the rest of your family because if you have a supportive family, you are able to do a lot more. How do you think um, does your parent partner support has uh, sort of has has it helped you? And also before parents have kids, do you think they they need to have any kind of conversations uh, or they need to, because, you know, we just, it's such a big responsibility. We are literally manufacturing the next generation of human beings but nobody yeah. thinks of it like that they're like oh shadi ho gaya. you've uh, spent or whatever three years or over four years or over abhi next but what the hell yes. so, and then once you have a kid you're like if you have studied you're like what are you doing sitting at home wasting your time Chai, you're wasting your time or they're like you know so you're thinking oh my god yeah. focus on the fact that it's a huge responsibility and then so what do you what would you what would you say about first about pair, spousal or partner support and the second thing inter say between the pay partners do they need to have some kind of conversations before they have kids uh, to make sure that we are doing right by the next generation you know
1: yeah so i think as a partner my my husband is also an uh, active litigator. he was an active litigator and now also he is with a law firm so he understands the demands of the profession so that way, he was uh, always very okay with, you know, me going out, me working, and he has been supportive that way. I think for me, more than support, I need independence and, you know, in a, that independence to think and act. So that is what my partner really gave me. And he was uh, not very interfering when it came to managing my children also. So I think that really gave me an edge. Yeah. So... I, I think by not being interfering, he was supportive. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and and between the two parents, do you think they need to have any conversations before they have kids? Or they need to like understand?
1: It's important that both parents are ready to, you know, balance out the responsibilities of parenthood. So that is one conversation that is very important. Especially if both are, you know, equally busy, then they need to manage time. At least. Uh, the husband should also be ready to take the responsibility and, you know, uh, sacrifice, uh, whatever you call it, a little bit in the career and not just the wife, mostly it's just the mothers who are giving up everything. And so what ultimately happens is the mother gets frustrated over a period of time like i'm losing out in my career i am also equally qualified and all that then those issues come in so it's easy So it's very important to discuss these things you know how are they going to delegate the responsibilities because child rearing is a very very difficult task to be very honest so that kind of an honest conversation is uh, important before you think of raising a family
0: so, yeah. i completely agree and i think all of the other guests we've had on the podcast uh, whether it was Manisha or Dhwani or all of them all of us who have kids I think we have all said the same thing about uh, you know we need support in balancing the roles whether it happens in real life
1: or not is a question but yeah that yeah, yeah. those
0: I those we will allow the people to to experience themselves yes so uh. I want <laughs> That's to, the ideal. I know you know, now the, the one role that I'm most excited to talk to you about, which was our whole group was going buzzing with all your photographs, was your recent yeah. win, your Miss, Mrs. India win. And how did this happen? Like, how did you think of getting into this contest? How did you, like, in your mind also, how did you think that I can do it, you know, with all of these things going on in your life?
1: I know, yeah. I think, uh, you know, these two years of COVID they did this to me and life had become so monotonous and I really wanted to break that pattern. I think that was the primary reason for, for even thinking of getting into something like this because uh, I was like, where am I going in life? It's just work and home and, you know, then, then you get sick again and then you're again <laughs> trying to, so... You have to do something different, break the pattern, at least, you know, divert the energy to something good. So that is what my main uh, aim was before getting into this pageant. Yeah. But after uh, I decided to participate, I think I really took it very seriously because uh, I thought if I am going there, then I had to, I had tough competition there and then I can't make a fool out of myself. I think me being a lawyer uh, definitely gave me an edge in the competition because as lawyers you are orators you're natural orators right so that really matters it's not just your uh, looks I think it's your overall overall personality your education your attitude everything so yeah that helped me I had uh, certain mind blocks uh, for sure as like you know how will people perceive it how will my family perceive it How will my, uh, you know, colleagues perceive it in court? I mean, I have to go to the court again, right? So (laughs) having this uh, pageant, uh, this crown on your head, you know, all that. uh, But I think more than the society, it's your own mind, which is your uh, biggest enemy. So what I realized after winning was everybody was very, very happy with it. You know, everybody, my family, my friends, my colleagues, they were super proud. And they, in fact, thought that this was very very inspiring for them you know they're like you you getting out of this one zone and even thinking of doing something differently something so different i think that that's commendable so it did give me a lot of confidence yeah and uh um, let's see where it takes me i'm open to uh, modeling assignments and endorsements and ads so yeah life should not be unidimensional as i said (laughs)
0: It's just you amazing. have one life you have 24 hours. I know you have 24 hours, 24 hours. And yeah, and it's truly inspiring, Mohini. <laughs> I mean, it's uh, it would have taken a lot of your time as well, right? Because you'd had to prepare uh, even physically, you know, what all the things that you had to do. So, how yeah, did you allocate yeah, that
1: much time, you know, having so many other activities? So, I was litigating, then I was traveling, then I had my NGO work. So uh, the the only preparation that I could do before getting into the contest was watching YouTube videos yeah, of these pageants. So I watched YouTube videos, how you're supposed to answer questions, how you're supposed to present yourself. That is what I did. Yeah, of course, healthy eating and all that. I, I did take care of that. And uh, huh? so it happened. And uh, those four days that I was there in the pageant, I think they were the... Hmm, the best days of my life i would say that uh, it was really transformative we had the best of groomers there and you know their perspective towards thing was so different so i think i really came out as a better human being as a better person and whatever i learned there i would carry for life it has changed me as a person definitely
0: and how did your family like your husband and your kids react to it like how how what kind of support did you get from them apart from not interfering <laughs> with your decision
1: yeah, so my husband was like, "Okay, you want to go see your work somewhere? You're, you're free to do that." He's, he was not expecting me to win. To be very honest, in fact, he was very surprised. Like, "Oh, you, you actually won it!" But, but my kids were very supportive like, they, You know, they were guiding me throughout. That you know, you you are supposed, you're not supposed to wear this, Mama. You're supposed to wear that. This is how you're supposed to put on your makeup and contouring. So my daughter is now 11, and she watches all these YouTube videos on makeup tutorials and all that so they were really guiding and uh while walking the ramp on the finale day I was just I, I just want to tell you this so I was just walking and then happened to look at my daughter and you know the glitter in her eyes and the eyes were shining out of pride and that I think was my real victory and I was I felt so so glad that I went there and you know I think they will also remember this for life and uh, I think I managed to set a certain benchmark for them also think big do do things differently and there is no age to grow
0: you know I think what you're saying is brilliant and I I can imagine your kids being very proud of you and I can imagine you also feeling that as the real victory as a mother I know what you mean yeah when you say that and it's so wonderful Mohini to hear this now you've given us a lot of things to think about I think everybody who is listening to this has Probably, I hope, derive a lot of value. I know I have uh, been quite inspired by your win. Um, You know that I used to dance and, you know, I I love to dance. I haven't gone back to it since my children are born. And when I was seeing your videos, I was like, I mean, your uh, pictures in the group and on other places on social media. I was thinking it's been so long since I actually went back to, you know, doing anything on stage and things like that. So let's see, hopefully. But I know I can tell you for a fact that you inspired me to, yeah, go back certainly manage my time in a way that I can go back and uh, and do something that I really Uh like Um, now we are in the last segment okay we call it five four three two one basically I ask you five of something four of something and things like that so Uh um, five productivity tips or uh, anything it can be apps it can be your routine anything which has helped you manage all of these things that you do See, I'm
1: a very old-school person. So for me, productivity tips would be first-time kickstart your morning, okay? Get up, get up on time, sleep on time, get up on time. Uh, you know, these little achievements like probably making your bed when you get up. I think it also gives you a sense of achievement. Just go for a five-kilometer walk, you know? If you kickstart your morning, I think your rest of your day is set. Secondly, to be productive, it's very important to be healthy also, So eat healthy, you know, don't go for these crash diets and, you know, intermittent fasting, these are the trending things these days. So eat healthy, eat regularly, and of course, cut down on junk. I think this really helps you because yeah. Apart from that. Okay, exercising also plays a very, very important role because, you know, the, and the all the stress that you've accumulated over the day, you know, so you can just sweat it out when you exercise. So these are uh, three productivity tips that I, I usually, you know, incorporate in my life. Apart from that, uh, try to have... A positive attitude you know do not overthink i do not overthink because uh, what happens that then you are seeing a problem which is not even there and you know you know you just yeah so that, that is my personal nature i don't know how much it will work with everybody but yeah it, it does work for me and uh, the fifth one uh, would be uh sleep on time get adequate amount of rest sleep at least eight hours a day and uh limit your uh, tv time limit your screen time so for me these are very simple productivity tips i don't know about apps and all so I think this is how my routine good is. Yeah. i think
0: yeah yeah simple uh this is it's, 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 it's what works right yeah. simple is what works okay four yeah, books yeah. that you would recommend anyone should read
1: I actually uh, mostly end up reading a lot of self-help books for some reason. So one book I really like is uh, The Power of Your Subconscious Mind. I think everybody should read it. You know, it's, it's like how your mind is affecting your body. It's affecting everything around you. It's affecting your growth. So that one book really changed my perspective and it really helped me think in a positive way. Another book is The Secret, I'm sure a lot of you must have read it, is The Power of Man, Laws of Attraction, The Powers of Manifestation. So that is also another book that I do recommend. Mm. Then the one book which, which has a very counterintuitive approach is The Subtle Art of Not Giving an F. So that is one, that's, it has a very practical approach. So... I mostly end up reading these books. And then I also read this book by, uh, uh, called Sita by Devda Patnaya. I think they have a wonderful perspective on women. You know, how Sita was the main character in Ramayana and not Ram. You know, that is how they put it. So that book was very inspiring. So yeah, these are the four books that I can think of right now.
0: Did you use the the principles of the secret? Like, do you use it in your life? Do you believe in the law of attraction and all that? Do you think it works? Definitely. Definitely. That is
1: what positive thinking is. If you cannot dream, if you cannot imagine yourself at a certain place, then you will never work towards it. And you will ultimately never reach the place. So first, it's important to dream, you know, think big. Is what the book teaches you. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. I agree. I am also uh, I also believe in it, but I have had a lot of people saying that it's all such like sofu some rubbish, you know, doesn't work. It's not like
1: it's not so easy to achieve it actually. It's very difficult, yeah. Manifesting and laws of attraction, they are very abstract things and they are not so easy to obviously everybody will not get it, but I think uh, with practice, you can get to a certain level. I'm sure it works for me.
0: Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure too. Okay, three uh, tips that you have for young lawyers or for law students or for uh, young lawyers, you know, starting out their law careers. Mm -hmm.
1: Three tips. I think first one would be uh, do not run after money initially, you know. First, uh, focus on developing your skills. Because these days we have a bunch of unskilled lawyers, you know, who portray that, that they are good at everything, but they are good at nothing. So it's important to develop your skill and uh, probably in some one area of practice or several. But yeah. Uh, secondly, uh, I think uh, virtual is the future. So being uh, technologically adept is another uh, another big big uh, you know thing that uh, young lawyers should be looking at. So, and uh, yeah, I think these are the tips that I would like to give them.
0: Do you think that uh, they should focus on the basics also, and not be not be swayed by all these big terms and you know big? Yeah, we've already spoken about it. Yeah, cool. yeah. Real-
1: areas of
0: practice and all at least you know the yeah. basic basics of litigation yeah. also cpc cpc ipc first before you yeah i yeah. open the you? contract act first yeah i mean when somebody
1: comes to a lawyer they expect you to know at least this much you know?
0: yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. So, i know so mm-hmm. yeah i it, it's a pet peeve because routinely i keep meeting some people or the other who have these very fancy ideas. Nothing wrong with it, of course. Like you said, virtual is the future. But Actually, I just feel like, like yeah. Yeah, yeah, I just feel like it starts too early, you know. And then you you think that it's not important to do basics. It's you know, it's... they they want to
1: be a senior a senior counsel, you know, before they even become. Yeah, that's I the know. Problem.
0: Yeah, it's that's really
1: that kind of struggle. Nobody is really ready for all these days.
0: Yeah. So especially
1: people yeah. students coming from these niche law schools they think you know we have invested so much we we need to get the returns it's more of a business give and take thing rather than a profession these days Uh, so that is life yeah
0: Yeah. okay two life lessons that you have learned so far that you you would like to pass on Uh,
1: one okay one very important lesson was uh, never be afraid to do things differently you know and uh, don't be Uh, Afraid of people's perception, just do your thing. That is one because people, uh, you know, ultimately accept you for who you are. So that's one uh, very, very important life lesson that I have learned in these 36 years of life. And uh, another uh, very important life lesson is that you cannot keep everybody happy. You you should rather focus on keeping yourself happy first, because then if you are happy, I think you just exuberate that energy and things start falling into place so
0: focus
1: inside rather than you know just going away going everywhere so that's it's actually very very good
0: advice them. especially your second advice i think i'm learning yeah. i i think all of us learn it the hard way are like yes you know, yes, you, you no, want to yeah yeah and then once you learn it you're Please like everybody around. Yeah, around yeah 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 I, I, and then
1: I, you cannot because nobody is happy you realize that nobody is still happy even after you doing everything <laughs> done you good. Yeah. So just, yeah
0: okay and the just last one yeah. yes I agree mm. the last one mm. is the best piece of advice you have ever received
1: the best piece of advice I have ever received is uh, mm, yeah that's a that's a very tricky question huh the best piece of advice is uh, learn to say no. So my grandma, she's no more. But uh, I remember my grandmother used to tell me, you know, don't don't be a yes man. Learn to say no where it matters. So yeah, that is something that I'm still working on.
0: So yeah. You know, that's... Because I have this weakness.
1: I have yeah. this
0: weakness, yeah. I think mm. that comes from your last, you know, like what you said about that. Yeah, I can't keep everybody happy. And so you also right, spoke right. about saying having boundaries. Um, your grandmother right. was a very wise person, clearly, because only if you she say was, no, you are able person. to. Yeah. Yeah, you're able to make your boundaries, and I know I'm also trying to say yeah. no.
1: We're all we're all trying. We're all growing. Yeah,
0: it's a continuous yeah. process. I, I just told you yeah. that I couldn't. My kids wanted to stay over in my sister's house, so I know. yeah. Yeah. So, so I'm still yeah. learning and I'm failing. I think. But uh, Mohini. You th- just start
1: prioritizing others before you, then if yeah. you don't say no, so that's
0: yeah, a problem absolutely. in your life. Yeah. yeah. But uh, yeah. Mohini, thanks so much, yeah, for coming on and uh, giving say, speaking so openly about your life and about your challenges. That you so all much you that, that you I really
1: enjoyed this conversation. I think it really made me think so much about my life, you know, my journey. Yeah. And I'm so glad you invited me. Yeah, and no.
0: we
1: should
0: have a one-on-one conversation. Yeah, also. I know, <laughs> I know. Yeah. Not in the NCLAT. Or, no, no. Or, yeah, <laughs> or like in GLC or something right, where we can actually meet and chat. So, thank Definitely. you so much, Mohini. Um, we will have you on to speak on the law aspect of certain issues, especially yes. with women and children. Is that something we need to talk about? But otherwise, right. in terms of careers in law, I'm sure you've given a lot for the people to think about. So thank you so much. I'll see you soon, hopefully in Delhi or Bombay. Certainly. Thank you. Thanks, thank you yeah. Bye. Bye.